Brazil is Latin America's largest economy. It's also the first country where Toyota built a plant outside of Japan back in the 1950s. Recently, the country has been engulfed in a massive corruption scandal that's involved more than 80 members of parliament and the current president. What happened in Brazil? How did we get to this point after years of economic growth and reforms? And where are we headed? What does this mean for Brazil's future? And most relevantly for Toyota, what does this mean for our business? Welcome to Toyota Talks Global. This is Lila Aridi Afas, Director for International Public Policy. Today I will be speaking with Gabrielle Trabat, Director of Brazil and Southern Cone at McLarty and Associates, to answer these questions. It's been a, a quite turbulent past few years for Brazil. Um, after about a decade of, I would say, solid economic growth and political stability under former President Lula, we've entered into a period of, of, of crisis since 2010 when President Rousseff was first elected. President Michel Temer has found himself in the midst of a very serious corruption investigation and scandal, which has been stemming from uh, the investigation into Brazil's state-owned oil and gas company, Petrobras. Uh, to your point, you know, Brazil proved to be very promising for a long time but was ultimately, I think, undone by their own um, political system, which everyone agrees is in need of reform. I mean, what are the greatest risks that you were that you believe we should be prepared for? And I'm going to add to that question by saying, given this, the culture that's emerging, this this fear of corruption, these allegations, which is engulfed. I mean, what is it? A, 80-some members of, uh, of government. How do we advocate as a private company and country when there seems to be increased, you know, apprehension about being in any way associated with anything untoward? Uh, excellent points to consider. Um, I think I'll divide my answer into two parts, the economic risk and the political risk. On the economic side, you know, right now, um, there are some short-term risks. Unemployment is on the rise. It's about 12% in Brazil. The highest has been in about five years. Uh, and there's very high levels of household debt, which, of course, is linked to the unemployment, but as well as to persistently high um, interest rates in Brazil. So as a result, consumer demand has been somewhat suppressed, and that includes, of course, for auto sales. However, you know, inflation has gone down quite a bit in Brazil, so there is expectation that interest rates will ultimately come down and consumers will be once again in a position to start borrowing a little bit more, access credit, and facilitate things like sales of vehicles. So um, there is some short-term economic risk, but we do think it's on its way to improving. Uh, certainly in the next, I would say, three to five years, we should see a substantial improvement in the economic situation in Brazil. On the political side, um, it is difficult right now, and a lot of companies, uh, especially American multinational companies, that fortunately have much higher thresholds for compliance are very careful in how they conduct government relations, government affairs in Brazil. So although we face risks, it's nothing like what happened in Venezuela when the government seized General Motors plants and the vehicles that they have there. I mean, it's, it's, it's more manageable. Not at all. That's correct. And in fact, one of the things that I think would differentiate Brazil from the Venezuela crisis, and to some extent what happened in Argentina under the Kirchner regime, is that institutions are working, and that's been proven. The judiciary is operating separate from the executive, separate from the legislative, and the judiciary is doing its job. The federal police, which is sort of the equivalent to the FBI, is operating in an apolitical manner and doing its job and doing its job professionally. Um, it's causing a lot of consternation, um, and unfortunately what it does spell, we think, which is positive for Brazil despite the short-term pain, 
is an end to this culture of impunity and an end to ultimately corruption, which has been rampant in Brazil, unfortunately, for, for, you know, for decades. So despite, I think, some of the pain that we're seeing right now, ultimately it's a good process and it shows that um, institutions are working and they're strong and uh, we would never have a crisis like Venezuela where you're seeing a real erosion of democracy. We have not yet seen that in Brazil. You may not like the outcome, for example, the impeachment of former President Rousseff, but it was done according to the Constitution and according to the laws of the land. I mean, for a company like Toyota, which again has been in Brazil since the late 1950s, it's, it's their first plant that they built outside of Japan, what does that mean? I mean, how do we play to the short-term turbulence and to the long-term uh, sort of possibilities and opportunities that might exist for us? Great question. Um, and, you know, to quote a very famous Brazilian musician, Brazil's not for beginners. And luckily, at Toyota and many other companies um, that certainly we work to support have been in Brazil for, for the long haul, for decades. And those companies, if you look over the long-term horizon of their investment, have done very well in Brazil. And in fact, companies like Toyota, for example, have stayed in Brazil and have weathered multiple um, economic and political downturns. This isn't the first impeachment that Toyota, for example, has faced in Brazil, um, and they've managed to to grow their investment to do well. And that's for a number of factors. I think, um, you know, despite some of the short-term political instability and economic uh, uncertainty right now. Brazil has a lot of promising things going for it that I think companies like Toyota like and are attracted to. One, of course, is the very robust domestic market. Uh, over 200 million people, an emerging middle class, is uh, is something that uh, a lot of companies find very attractive. Two, I think over the long term, we are seeing Brazil emerge from a vision or perspective on how it conducts its industrial policy, moving away from um, a history of protectionism uh, with a lot of heavy emphasis on local content to integrating and wanting to integrate more in global supply chains. So companies like Toyota, that you have pieces coming in and out of the country and assembly done here and components coming from there, I think that bodes very well in the long term for companies like uh, Toyota. And third, you're seeing Brazil finally start to be look beyond um, its traditional trade relationship of Mercosur, which is the uh, common market of the South, is the translation into English. Um, it includes Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay. Uh, Venezuela was a member, but it has since been expulsed. And looking to expand that relationship to the EU, um, as well as to Mexico, as well as the Pacific Alliance group of countries. So that bodes well, too, for companies like Toyota that use Brazil as well as an export platform. So a long answer to your question, Lila, you know, despite some of the short-term instability that we see over the long term, I think Brazil still remains a very good bet for a lot of companies. We're now underway with uh, the renegotiation of NAFTA. Of course, on May 18th, the administration formally notified Congress of its intent to renegotiate NAFTA. So 90 days after that, the U.S. government can sit down with the Mexican and Canadian governments to formally do so. How does what's happening with NAFTA play into U.S. trade relations with Brazil and taking into account that with the, what that means for Mercosur and with the Pacific Alliance? And Yes, it's a good question because it's certainly very high on the radar of Brazil and actually Mercosur trade officials. They're seeing a renegotiation of NAFTA, and even potentially if renegotiations aren't successful, they're seeing a real market opportunity, um, primarily first in the agro-business, agro-industry space, 
But I know there is a real desire, and there's even been some informal talks already between Brazilian, Argentine, and Mexican officials about expanding their trade, their trade um, agreements. There's already a, a very, I would say, less ambitious agreement on autos between Brazil and Mexico, which potentially be expanded a little bit further. Um, but I, I will say the first primary focus of, of any expansion would probably be first in the commodity space, as Mexico looks for other sources um, to supplant U.S. supply of, for example, corn and sugar and other inputs such as that. So they're seeing um, any renegotiation that may not be favorable as a potential opportunity, frankly, for, for Mercosur. Today we learned why Brazil isn't for beginners. But as Gabby described, although the country is facing a complex set of challenges, the institutions are working. And I believe the most important message is that Toyota has a long history in country and is well positioned to weather the turbulence and manage short-term pain in order to achieve long-term gain. Thank you for listening to Toyota Talks Global. This is Lila Aridia-Foss, Director for International Public Policy. Until the next time.